Well, all right. Good morning, everybody. It is a privilege, a treat to be together. I tell you what, we have been praying for the community, for the people in this room. We have been longing for the day to actually see uh, at least partial faces (laughs) and instead of just a list of names. So I am so, so excited for this day and thank you so much for being part of it. You know, I would invite all of you guys, if you have time, we're going to do a very simple lunch after the service, hot dogs, chips, a beverage, and a cookie, and the kids can play, and we'd love for you to hang out. It's no, uh, no charge. So, well, hey, we are starting a series, a group of six messages on the Psalms. We are calling Soul Care, how we're going to investigate through looking at these, these uh, songs in the book of Psalms, how to care for our souls. You know, over the past five years, we've seen this concept of self-care really explode in popularity. Uh, Aisha Harris, she's a writer for Slate Magazine, she notes that the past five years, this explosion of self-care has also coincided with the uh, tumultuous nature and disruption in our society. And, man, if you're online at all, you know that there is some cream that will change your life, right? Some app to download, that if you download this app, you will be the most attractive person in your area code, right? There is this vacation to take, that that's what you really need in life. You just need a beach and some sun. We see all over our culture and our world this constant um, emphasis of, hey, this one thing, if you do this, you will be caring for yourself. And now, hey, I affirm we need to care for ourselves. We need to be wise in the way we use our minds, our bodies. We need to sleep. We need to do all those things. But I don't care how much you lather on your hands or what vacation you go to. Ultimately, we need a healthy soul. We need lives that have strength to deal with the challenges that we will all face. And not just to deal with them, but to have joy in the midst of sorrow, have freedom in the midst of failure. So that's that concept, that's what we're going to be talking about over the next six weeks. We're going to look at Psalms, which is a collection of 150 poems that God has written in His Word. And each week we're going to look at a different one. Before we look at Psalm 42, which is our psalm for today, I want to pray and then we'll look at uh, this uh, psalm part by part and see how we can apply to having a revived and invigorated soul. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word that's written in the Bible. Thank you that you've given us a way to understand you and to Uh, live our lives. Lord, I know so, so, so many people are struggling right now. They have thin souls. They feel weak. We just, we know statistically that's the case. But God, we want souls that uh, pour forth joy, not just for ourselves, but for those around us. So this morning, would you show us in your word how to have a revived soul, how to have an invigorated soul? So help us, Lord, this morning we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right. Well, the verses will be on the screen, but you can also, if you have a Bible app on your phone or a Bible, you're welcome to turn there as well. So we're going to be in Psalm 42. We're going to look at the whole, the whole Psalm uh, this morning. Now, before we look at this psalm, I want to point out something. So there's 150 psalms, and many, many of these poems, these songs, are what they call psalms of lament. They're sad songs. They're frustrated songs. They're where God is poor, or the, where the author is pouring out his frustration and, his, and, and outlining all the difficulty he's experiencing. And what that tells me is if God wrote dozens and dozens and dozens of songs bringing our raw emotions to God, that tells us that we can go to God in whatever situation we find ourselves. Emotional situation, physical, spiritual situation. God's big enough to handle it and he's patient enough to hear it. Sometimes when, you know, in, in a, a marriage, if you're married or if you have a roommate, Sometimes you just don't want to hear it. <laughs> I know even like Deb and I, when we get in conflict or have a hard day at work, she's patient, but there's a limit, right? <laughs> well, God has unlimited patience toward us. So these songs show us that no matter what we're going through, we can bring it to the Lord. Okay, well, let's look at uh, Psalm 42, starting in verse 1. Scripture says this, As a deer pants for flowing streams... So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So in these verses, the author is talking to himself about himself. So we see in verses 1 through 3, he is saying that he's isolated from God. He longs to be connected to God, but his soul is thirsty and he can't find God to quench it. And the only thing, the only water that touches his, his soulish tongue is his wet, salty tears. And then in verse 4, we see that the author is isolated from his community. So we see that this uh, author used to uh, be part of like the planning committee of his community. He would even organize and lead religious festivals, religious services, and they would have a wonderful time singing and being together. But he finds himself isolated from community. You know, being isolated from God and isolated from community, that equals a downcast soul. Right? Maybe you've been there. I know I've been there. When I feel isolated from other people and I feel isolated from God, what, what my soul how my soul responds is being downcast, being cast down. But we see in verse 5 and then in verse 11, we see this chorus, this refrain. And this refrain kind of gives us a centering point, something that the author is reminding himself and us 
of. So let's look at this. Verse 5 of Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Now, the Old Testament uses the word soul differently than our wider culture. So the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And the word we translate soul came from the Hebrew word nefesh. Can you say that out loud with me? Nefesh. Now, in our culture, often we think of the soul as like water in a cup. You know, I've got water up here. And our bodies, they're the cup, but our soul is what fills the cup. Well, this is definitely not what the Bible means when we see the word soul. Nefesh, soul, comes from the root word for throat. And it means life, essence of life, the, our inmost being. Basically, a soul, a nefesh, is everything that makes you, you. Our bodies, our minds, our spirits, everything that makes you, you, is a nefesh, is a soul. So a better way to think of it, it's not that, you know, it's that people don't have a soul. People are a soul. Now, why do I explain this? I do so because God is not merely concerned about our inner being, our spirit, our immaterial aspect of who we are. God is concerned about every part of you, mind, body, and spirit. So let's look at this refrain. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And what's his response? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So he says, hope in God. This is a command to himself. I, I, I need to and I want to put my hope in God. I shall again praise him, saying, I will at some point praise God again, my salvation and my God, acknowledging that he, God, is my salvation and he still is my God. So this is the response that the author gives to his downcast soul. Okay, so he's figured it out. Everything's fine, right? Nope. Look at me. Verse 6. He gets back into his lament. And when... Excuse me. Uh, verse 6. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, of Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. They say to me all the day long, where is your God? So the author moves from talking to himself about himself to talking to himself about God. He's talking about what he knows of God. That Verse 7, God is powerful. That God rules the physical world. Verse 8, that God is loving and God is ever-present. God is accessible through prayer. 
Verse 9, God is relational. Verse 10, God is mysterious. So clearly the author's been to Sunday school. He knows a lot of things about God and about his character, but it doesn't seem to help. He's still struggling. His soul is still in turmoil. Look, we can know a lot about God, but still not truly be connected to God. We can know things about God, but we don't have a soul connection to the God of the universe. We can grow up in the church. We can read our Bibles every day. We can be in a life group. But that's not a sufficient condition for having a revived and refreshed soul. Let's look at verse 11. Here's the chorus again. So he laments. He talks to himself about himself in this refrain. Then he talks to himself about God. And then we see this same refrain in verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So I drive a 15-year-old Nissan pickup truck. So I have come, become very accustomed to the check engine light. <clears throat> Any of you know this? What happens is you're driving along and all of a sudden this little light comes on, a little ex exclamation point. And what that means is something's wrong. And you don't know what's wrong until you go to AutoZone and they plug in their diagnostic uh, tool, and then they read out a code, right? It could be, hey, you need a new sensor, or maybe even, you know, you need new oil change, all the way to, uh-oh, how are we going to pay for this, right? <laughs> this, okay, a downcast soul, when we're feeling down, and we just don't know why, that is God's check engine light for our souls. You see, God gives us these experiences not to punish us, not to get at us because of something bad we've, we've done. He gives it to us to say, hey, something's going on. Check out your soul. So we can use verse 11 as a diagnostic tool. When we experience a cast down soul, we can plug verse 11 into our hearts and begin to diagnose what's going on. So what I want to do for the rest of our time is look at verse 11 and kind of map out a way to diagnose a downcast soul. But before I do that, I want to provide a disclaimer. So we know statistically that many, many people, many people in this room right now, uh, struggle with clinical mental illness. And, you know, believers, people that know and love Jesus can struggle with clinical mental illness. Now, this verse, the clinical mental illness is not really in focus in this verse. Um, so if you are uh, struggling with clinical mental illness, my encouragement for you is see a doctor and get a plan with a doctor, a counselor, and a Christian community. And we would love to walk with you and help you in that area. But that's not necessarily what's going on here in this song. Okay? Well, let's look at verse 11 more in-depthly. 
All right, the first step to diagnosing and having a revived soul is this. We have to identify. So the author writes, why are you cast down, O my soul? It's an honest question. And remember, that soul here is nefesh. It's body, mind, and spirit. It's all that makes you, you. So when we experience a cast-down soul, we need to work from the outside in to diagnose what's going on. First, got to look at the physical part of who we are. you got to ask yourself questions like, am I cast down because I am hungry, thirsty, tired, or overworked? Do I have a headache? Am I not feeling well? Are there some physical or hormonal things going on inside me? You see, that's why we see over and over again in the Gospels that when Jesus became weary, you know what he did? He ate a snack and took a nap. One of the most godly things you might do on a day is to take a nap and eat a snack because we're physical beings. God's made us that way. And I see a lot of couples looking at each other poking. God, we, that is part of who we are. Ecclesiastes 3.13 says, Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. So we assess, is there something physical going on? Okay, the next is we got to look at, is there something emotional or relational going on? We ask ourselves this question. Was I reminded of a problem in an important relationship? Did something remind me of something going on with my family, with my friends? Was I reminded of disappointing news? Did something cause my insecurity to well up inside of me? Am I thinking about untrue or unloving thoughts? You know, you know the scripture says that we can refresh our souls through relationship with other people? Do you know that? 1 Corinthians 16, 8, uh, 16, 17 through 18 says, this is the Apostle Paul saying, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence, so these friends weren't there, for they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. That's why the Christian life, if you're a follower of Jesus, it is not meant to be just you and God. Because we're a family. We're a community. We have to come together. And part of having a revived soul means you have healthy relationships. And then the third piece, we go from physical, emotional, to spiritual. We ask this question, is there unconfessed sin in my life? Am I being uh, obedient to God's word, or am I not? Am I praying? Or maybe there's something going on. Maybe you're experiencing a spiritual attack. Some of you here have experienced um, demonic forces. Those are forces that are in the spiritual world that come to attack. And I think one of the uh, uh, best techniques that the enemy uses in spiritual attack is that he never attacks. We have to analyze, we have to identify what's going on. That's the first step. Step two is we have to commit. Commit. We see the second half of verse 11. We see an aspiration, a prediction, and a declaration. An aspiration. Hope in God. We have to aspire to put our hope in God. 
Next, we see a prediction. It says, I shall again praise him. We cannot define our future on the present moment. We have to realize God has me. I am his child. I will one day again praise God. I will get through this. And thirdly, a prediction. Excuse me, a a declaration. A declaration of my salvation and my God. Because no matter what you and I are dealing with, what is going on, God is still the only source of soul care. It is only God who can restore our souls. So verse 11, it's that diagnostic tool. Step one is identify. Step two is commit. We've actually uh, developed some note cards that have that verse on them that you can tape to your console or go or at your fridge or at work to help when you help you remember when you feel downcast to look through and diagnose what's going on. But I got a problem. So I'll study in this psalm and the process here to, to identify and commit, it doesn't seem complete. Because you could sit down with anyone who struggled with a downcast soul. And they can identify what's going on. And they can commit not to be downcast. But it doesn't work. How is, it what I, how is what I just shared different from me saying, you need good self-care. You need that cream. You need that vacation. You need that trip away. What's the difference? Well, as you look at the Psalms, and if you look at scholars who study this, they, they make this important point. Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, they are two sides of the same coin. They are meant to be read together. They are two pieces of the same pie. And it's not until Psalm 43 that we see the author not talking to himself about himself or to himself about God. He's actually talking to God directly. So let's see what he says. Psalm 43, starting in verse 1. He says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. You are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? You see, here the author He's still dealing with what he's got going on. He's still struggling, but now he turns to God directly. And he's pouring out his heart to God. And here in verse 3, we see truly what he wants. Truly, at the deepest, most core sense of his soul, what does he truly want? Verse 3. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Then they will bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Right? Isn't that what we all need for a downcast soul? 
Don't we need light in the dark places? Don't we need truth when all we hear is lies? And that's what God has done in giving us Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. John 8, 12 says, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Jesus, he is God's truth. John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. God sent his son, Jesus Christ. To give us his soul. See, Jesus died a physical death on the cross. Excruciating. Even before that, he laid out his soul before God in the garden and said, God, if there's any other way, would you do it? But the scripture says, God crushed his soul so that we could have life. And on the third day after being buried, Jesus rose again so that you and I could have newness of life today and for eternity. You see, step one for a revived soul, we have to identify. Step two, commit. Step three, we have to receive. We have to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. We have to believe that his death and resurrection allows us to have a place at God's table, to be in a relationship with God Almighty. And then it is then that the work of a revived soul happens. And what's the result of a revived soul? We see this in verse 4. The psalmist says, And then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. A revived soul, a soul that has received Jesus. The response, it's not a, a life that's all unicorns and rainbows, right? Rather, it is a life of joy in the midst of grief. Of joy in the midst of suffering. In the midst of broken relationships and of broken homes and of broken bodies. It is a soul that is durable enough for this life tender enough for relationships with others. That is the result of a revived soul. Now in a moment, we have the great privilege of seeing an expression of a revived soul in baptism. So in a moment, we are going to be able to participate in baptism together. A young man named Jesse is going to get baptized and from my experience, it has been such a joy to see and build a relationship with Jesse, to see how God is changing him, just changing him in every single way. And as he goes public with his uh, belief in Jesus, we see symbolically that when he goes underwater and comes back up, we see that that is what Christ did in the tomb, he went into the ground, rose again, and then he offers newness of life to all who call on his name. And maybe you're here this morning, and you're like, I've tried a lot of stuff in my life. But man, there's something going on in my heart that pulls me 
to Jesus. It just pulls me to this story that Jesus died on the cross, rose again. If that's you, receive the joy of the Lord in your heart. You simply say, Jesus, I believe you. I love you. I give you my soul. Would you restore it through your son, Jesus Christ? That's all you have to do. And then the the journey begins to a, a revived and restored soul through the light and the truth of God. Let me pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are so good and so wonderful. Thank you that you sent your light and that you sent your truth so that we could have a revived soul. Lord, you didn't have to, but because of your love, you did. May we be obedient in it. May we not focus on ourselves. May our day-to-day lives not be about us, about complaining to ourselves, but rather may we pour out our heart to you. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for this wonderful day you've given us. Help us to live out this day and every day with a heart that is tough enough for the day, but soft enough for love. And that's only possible through you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.